Welcome to the Catapulting Podcast. I'm really excited about kicking this off. This is episode one, and I'm really looking forward to uh, this one because we have Roger Tipping, who actually uh, interviewed or joined me on the uh, Political Free Agents Podcast, where we talk politics and whatnot. Uh, we're not going to deal with politics here. This is strictly tech. Um, you know, in the in the event that politics crosses over, we will you know touch on some of those things like maybe Section 230 or something to that effect. Uh, but we're not focusing on the you know politics of the nation. We just want to geek out. So let's kick it off. Uh, want to bring Roger in here? How's it going, Roger? It's going great. Thanks for having me. You're stacking the deck because I'm possibly your biggest fan. So kind of cheating, <laughs> but glad to be here. Well, I mean, I had to think of somebody that I could pay off uh, to say nice things about me. And the list oh, was short. Paid? Yeah, the list was short. So <laughs> Good to hear. Yeah, man. So um, what we want to do is uh, through here, we're going to talk different topics uh, throughout the podcast. Uh, the lifetime of the podcast, I mean, we'll talk topics. We'll talk, you know, um, specific tech uh, details about DNS domains, things like that. Just things that I get asked commonly. We're just going to break those things down. But for this first one, I wanted to just kind of go through the history of what is catapult? Who am I? Where do I come from? Those sort of things. So Roger's going to do the interviewing and I'm just going to sit back instead of doing the interviewing. I'm going to be the interviewed this time. Well, you asked like three questions right out front. So you know, what is Catapult? Who are you? How are <laughs> I, I'm, I'm interviewing myself. <laughs> Apparently. <laughs> you segued me right into the questions. Um, it, the, the podcast is bears the name of the company. So tell us a little bit about the name before we go into the history of the company. Yeah. So actually, the name came from a friend of mine, a designer, uh, really, really quality designer. Uh, he runs Elevate.co.co. And you'll you'll notice I'll call out a bunch of different companies because um, like I just want to promote other people's uh, work uh, here as well. So uh, Jake Stutzman, actually, we were going to go into business together and create a hosting company. So we're like, you know, let's try this. You know, what do you think about Catapult? And it was like, yeah, I like that with the K. OK, I like that. And. We ended up not doing it because we dug into the specifics of hosting at the time. This was 2004, 2005. And it was like, you know what? Nah, we're going to scrap it. Well, I had a company called JDev Inc. at the time. And I wanted something not so specific to be like John Development, right? Like that's it's a little bit on the nose, right? And so I, was, I asked him, I said, hey, man, can, can I just use the graphics, use the name and you know, start up a new company. And he was like, yeah, man, go ahead. And so that's where Catapult Media was born. And I ended up doing a bunch of media at the beginning. And now I don't do as much media, like video stuff and things like that. Uh, now I'm DevOps development, things like that. I do those things more. So we ended up, the company is still Catapult Media, but we're branding as Catapult. Got it. That's awesome. Now, there was one guy who went on the nose with the name of his development company. It was uh, his name was Mike Rowe. I'm sure you're familiar with Mike yes. Rowe Soft. Mike Rowe Soft, but that's this, that's did. as good as it gets. 
and he did end up losing a a short-lived legal battle to Microsoft <laughs> his own name unfortunately yeah that was interesting that was a very interesting case that was that was about oh three or so I think when it first started off something yeah like you that. said 2004 and this is maybe digressing a little bit or, or maybe off the subject but how high. different was technology in in our sphere back in 2004 because that's not long after I just started doing basic web development in like 2003. So, yeah. So, you different. know what? The funny thing is, is the things now that people can go online and do for free, like with Wix or WordPress.com, that was what people were coming to us to have done, right? Like they wanted a website and they wanted it to look a certain way. They wanted, you know, the logo and the header and like all of these things. We didn't have the richness that we have now of like really quality CSS libraries and things like that. Like you had to pay a designer, then they had to cut up the graphics and you had to use tables to lay out everything. Like oh, yeah. <laughs> tables with the little spacer, the one one pixel spacer uh, graphic, you know, and it was like, it's, you know, largely like an art. Like now you can generate a whole bunch of stuff and get a really quality website or just buy a theme, right? The thing, like people would pay thousands to get a website designed. Now you pay like 50 bucks and get a, really quality theme or free and so back then uh that landscape was really people like just trying to get their online presence out there well now online presences they're very easy right <laughs> one of the services i used to offer uh initially was uh site management so like content updates like there's no need to do content updates for Pre people CMS. <laughs> right yeah. you we actually had to build the CMS, like a WordPress per project sort of thing, right? And of course, developers, we start seeing, man, we're repeating this a lot. We're having to continuously build a CMS. Why don't we just build one and then launch people on it? And when WordPress first came out, it wasn't like taken off like that. But then once it kind of hit like a hockey stick and went up, uh, it was just a wrap from then. Like all the custom website stuff started moving into, hey, can you build me a WordPress site? Uh, once it moved away from blogging, right? Once they added the concept of static pages. Um, you know, so it was different. It was a different kind of work um, and applications were not nearly as advanced. You know, it's like now the level of languages is better, right? But the things that on the high quality side that you get paid for is a little bit different now. It's a little bit more about like I have a custom application. I'm trying to do X, Y, Z, as opposed to build me a marketing site, which still happens, but it's just so much easier now that it's the projects aren't nearly as lucrative as they used to be. It seems like too, correct me if I'm wrong, but it seems like there's less amongst the most common languages and, and platforms people are building on there's less disparity now than there was then. Like it seemed like then there was um, a significant divide between people who were developing .NET, PHP, Ruby, JavaScript, et cetera. And now some of the most popular frameworks, they're pretty similar to each other in a lot of ways. And you have developers where they can, they can achieve a level of expertise on multiple platforms and languages where they can develop across them all um, with pretty much equal efficiency. Yeah, and I think that's like um, a product of like the um, higher level languages, right? You know, once they started seeing 
what people could do with these sort of things, right? And mind you, back in those days, JavaScript, you know, you weren't getting any sort of like quality application development right. out of JavaScript land. And when JavaScript, which is probably one of the easier languages to get into, when that started taking off, it kind of took off as like uh, a gateway language into everything else because JavaScript is ECMAScript. ECMAScript is Java, C Sharp, you know, well now TypeScript is uh, based on ECMAScript as well. And so if you learn JavaScript, you, you kind of have the general syntax, right? Variables, for loops, if statements, you got the general syntax. The thing that changes then is like the types. What is the type of my object? How do I use typing? What are generics, right? You start digging into those things and those things change. But once you kind of got into that place where JavaScript was like a real, like, well, it's always a real language, but a language that you could use to build some really high quality stuff. I would say jQuery kind of helped with that, but like after the jQuery and we started getting like classes in JavaScript, that really started pushing the level even higher. Um, and I think that was an important segue, right? For people who weren't able to, you know, really get in, they started tinkering with some JS and the next thing you know, it's like, oh, well, I can do this and this. And a lot of people that I talked to really got into it through JavaScript which it used to be, you got into programming by going like the old school route, like Quick Basic and C and C++ and, you know, all that stuff, like in the 90s and the 80s, you know, Fortran even before then. So it was a lot of these much more difficult languages where you had to understand memory addresses and things that people don't have to deal with now, right? They don't have to worry about memory. And so I think the higher quality developers, they do think of those things, right? Like they, they come from a time period where you had to worry about memory. You had to deal with like how much memory, I mean, <laughs> computers now or phones now are more powerful than computers, you know, 20 years ago. Oh, absolutely. And so by a lot. Right. And so when you have that much power, it's almost like with wealth, if you got a lot of money, then you don't care. You you spend thirty thousand on something, but if you only have five thousand to your name, you're not going to spend thirty on something that's not, you know, really that important to you, right? You're not going to overextend yourself. Well, you may, but <laughs> uh, you're you're le least likely to do it for something that's not beneficial to you, right? Like building, let's say, a podcast studio. You're not going to spend a bunch of extra money. You're going to find a way to make it work you know, for less, right? So people who came up in those traditional languages tend to focus a little bit more on memory and performance and those sort of things. It's a little bit like get off my lawn, you know, you know, <laughs> me looking at the young kids like, you know, yeah, I don't know back in my day, you know, but, you know, I definitely see that when I talk to uh, younger developers these days. Well, I think there are there's a significant amount of functionality that people take for granted now with the web. Yeah. Um, certainly multimedia and animation and real-time data streaming, like mm -hmm. all the stuff that almost everything is built off of these important pieces of functionality now. Back then, there weren't, there weren't really uh, one-stop shop mature languages and platforms that you could build things with. You had to cobble together six or seven right. different things which is why Flash was so big for so long 
um, certainly when before JavaScript was was mature enough to yeah. build things on it, um, you know, Cold, Flu Cold Fusion and Flex and other things kind of filled in the gaps um, until HTML finally came along enough to start replacing things. Yeah, absolutely. And so like you touch on something like, you know, when I do my podcast, I always put a book back here and I was like, let me bring out the old school. <laughs> It bring back the old school. Yeah. Ah, my white balance is so off; you can't even see. Uh, but you know this. This is you know white balance is terrible. I'm about to fix that. But this was actually the book that uh, the last book that I, I worked on was Flex Four in Action, and you know it was um, it was a labor of love and hate. Uh, you know because writing can be an arduous process, you know, it can be very time intensive for low pay unless it hits, which for tech books, the next year they're going to release a new version of the software. The yeah. last book isn't going to be nearly as desirable. So it's, um, you know, going back through that, like that, I believe without Flash, without ActionScript, languages today, you know, web languages, you don't have. Um, coming at this pace. Uh, it's kind of that case like um, Android versus iOS, where Android will come out with something, you know, whether whatever manufacturer like Samsung used to have fingerprint reading, right? And that kind of started moving the industry a little bit. It's like, oh, well, we want fingerprint reading. Well, now Apple gets fingerprint reading. Well, Samsung gets facial recognition. Well, now Apple kind of goes that route. Now it becomes a standard. All these devices have facial recognition and or fingerprint reading. Well, with Flash, when it became, you know, capable of being able to be programmed on uh, in like real programming, like when we had classes, which was just happened in uh, ActionScript 6, when that came out, that was like, oh, do you know what we could do with this? Right? It was just like a mind-blown moment that we really woke up to we can write some real software here. Like we can now, all the little animations that you see, we can now code those things instead of going into the flash timeline and doing all these crazy big timelines where things come in and out and all that. You can actually write the code for that. And that started really pushing things forward. And, you know, that was some, <laughs> some good money too. Because <laughs> flash development wasn't something that you could just find everywhere. Right, that it was a special skill set to be able to uh, write code that not just you know took a button and said, "Hey, you were clicked. Now I'm going to do something." But you you would say, "Hey, you were clicked. Now I want to animate this thing in. I want to animate it out. I want to have this go over there." And you know that was some really 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 fun work, uh, and it was all good until 2012. Steve Jobs decided to write Thoughts on Flash, and that just went. I, I'm having good memories of uh, an agency that I worked for. I did almost exclusively flash animation, um, but the the, in, <laughs> the inclusion of the drawing API changed a lot of things that you could do in flash that you couldn't do before. Programmatic animation, um, it just opened up the possibility to do things that would have been way too time-consuming without it. Yeah, absolutely. And I actually got introduced to flash. I was teaching at the time, and a buddy of mine, I was living in Arizona, a buddy of mine hit me up and was like, hey, man, you got to check this Flash out. And he gave me Flash 5 on a DVD. And I was like, <laughs> mm, 
I don't know. So I kind of went in and tinkered with it and was like, you know, this action script one was just like really convoluted. It was like JavaScript for like the next five years after that or so. It was very convoluted. You had to do all these weird things to try to get things to be, you know, a good programmatic flow. And like you had scripts that were on frames that were over in this component and this component had another mm -hmm. script. Everything was all over the place. So when they went to the point where you had action script files and you could write code, you had classes and types and all these things that were coming. Man, it was a game changer. That's when I went whole hog on Flash. Because prior to that, I was just doing ColdFusion stuff, you know, HTML stuff here and there, but, you know, largely just ColdFusion. And that Flash stuff took off and it was just like, yes. Fun, fun fact that I always tell people is the book actually came out, well, was set to come out two weeks after uh, Steve Jobs wrote, uh, released Thoughts on Flash. <laughs> Perfect. Never saw a royalty check that had any quality to it. Oh, <laughs> so um, the uh, egghead.io, the uh, tutorial site, uh, Joel Hooks actually was one of the co-authors on there. And we joke almost oh, yeah. every year, ever since 2012, roughly a few years, we lost contact. But, you know, with the Twitter sphere and everything, you know, we stay in contact. Uh, we joke all the time about the royalty checks because like none of them came in and were like, yes, now you make money. It was like, oh, now we're only negative $40. <laughs> you know, yeah, what, those, what those is more, times. what is more turn of the century than getting an SDK on a CD? <laughs> like here, <laughs> here's I a mean, CD with an SDK on it. I'm like, right. We're, we're right back in 2002. Yeah, it's like, hey, check this out, man. I was like, eh, I don't really know. I don't know. I was I was a snob at the time. I don't really know about these animations. What's an animation? You researched <laughs> it and you changed your mind. That's what I like about you, John. <laughs> yeah, once I saw that I could actually code in the animations, the light bulb just went off. You know, what's funny is uh, it was Macromedia at the time, not Adobe. Macromedia had a conference uh, downtown Phoenix at the AMC. And I remember, you know, talking to the school. I was like, hey, can I go to this training? Is, you know, this, this, because I was using ColdFusion to build like an internal library for the school. It was a charter school um, in like east of downtown. And they were like, yeah, you can go ahead and go. I had training budget, right? So they got to spend it somewhere. So I went to the training and Greg Ruiz, uh, was there. It was the first time I ever met Greg. And like hands down, probably the best speaker I've ever seen when it comes to like presenting, you know, in a tech setting. Uh, he rose through the ranks through Macromedia and through Adobe. And like, you can find him at any of the Adobe Macs or whatever speaking. Like top notch, top notch. And so he, he, I went for the Cold Fusion and left amped up about the Flash. And that is what kind of radicalized me into being a Flash developer for the next, man, it had to have been about the next nine, ten years I did Flash Flash work after that. It was a Speaking good run. of being radicalized, I know we're not supposed to talk politics. <laughs> but, but I think it's fair to say that you put a lot of careful consideration and effort into understanding and discussing, certainly via your other podcast, 
the human condition and state of affairs on our planet. How is your approach to doing business influenced by the underlying philosophies to which you adhere? Uh, so I always tell people I'm a bad capitalist. Like I just am. I suck at capitalism. Um, I, like the basic tenet of business is buy for one, sell for two, right? Um, if I buy for one, buy for one, and I can help somebody else, I'll sell for one point one, one point two, one point three, right? Like as long as I'm eating and I'm fine, all right, cool. I'll you know shave some shave some profit there. Um, you know, I come from a small town, and the money you know that we used to make back in the day that was exciting to me was like several hundred dollars a you know a month and it was just like oh my god if i made a thousand dollars in a month man it's like i'm balling you know and mind you it's the 90s inflation blah 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 but still uh it was really good money and even today you don't need a lot of money you know to live in my hometown um but the influence from that is that I see things in a way where I don't always, well, number one, I don't always see the potential of what I'm doing, meaning somebody else could see it and be like, I could charge 10 grand for this. And I'm like, I'd only take two, right? <laughs> and I'll be okay, because that's good money, right? And so I've had to shift you know, my thinking to what the industry can handle some. Uh, but overall, man, the idea of how I approach projects, how I approach business, you know, it's from in a small town, like your name means something. Uh, my grandpa used to have a phrase, um, you know, didn't have a lot of money, what people would consider poor, you know, financially at least. Uh, but he had 17 kids. And so he had a phrase that he would tell them, he said, we don't have much, but I have my name. So don't you go out there and mess my name up, right? And so when people ask me, like, how do you do your business? Like, how do you get business and blah, blah? I tell them it's word of mouth, right? If you do right by people, then they'll refer you. If you mess people over and they don't feel like they, you know, got, a, got what they needed out of the deal or they feel like they lost, then they're not going to refer you, right? And so my entire career, which is now... 20 years in, in the making uh, has been word of mouth solely. Like I've never put an advertisement out. I don't even carry business cards. I don't go to networking events. You know, I don't peruse business networks. Um, I finally joined one last year, but I don't even promote my company. Right. Like I don't, I don't go out and tell people like, hi, hire us, you know, sort of thing. Um, because it's just been a blessing to be honest with you that word of mouth has worked so well. Um, but it, it's those lessons like from my grandfather and things that really like settled in with me and they stay with me when I deal with business. Uh, so in the current landscape of things, like I understand, especially with, with the way politics change and things like that, uh, having learned how the system kind of flows, how people kind of sway and move, American history, things like that. I've just learned that business reacts to the current time, right? So uh, GitHub, uh, where you can host code and, you know, it's basically a code repository. 
they made a pretty massive move of saying, hey, we're no longer doing a master branch. It's now called Maine, right? Because master invokes thoughts of slavery and things like that. Real estate companies, they're starting to uh, change it from, uh, what do they call it? Not master bedroom, but something, I forget, something sweet or whatever. But anyway, business is responding to the current times. I'm fortunate that the stuff that I do is not really related to that, right? <laughs> you know, I'm not a baker who has to decide whether or not I'm going to make a gay cake sort of thing, right? Like that's not that sort of thing. Um, it's a very customized service, I guess you could say, right? Like you want to build an application. I can tell you if we can or we can't. Um, if it's an industry that I don't want to do, like I'm not going to do a porn app, right? just not going to do it. Uh, so there's not much that I have to do to sway to the current political spectrum or anything like that, right? I just stay in my lane, just continue dredging forward, and let the rest of those chips fall where they may. Yeah, there, there's a lot of work out there. There's a lot of opportunity, a lot of Absolutely. potential customers. It's important to be able to choose who you want to do business with, certainly. Um, right. the, the ultimate, if abbreviated goal of any successful company is to provide value to its customers. So how would you That's define the, the particular form of value that Catapult delivers? Uh, well, you know, over the years, you know, I've earned these grades, right? These, these are here from development, not from kids. Well, maybe just a for men. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, I, I did the uh, reverse just for men. <laughs> Let me get the grade just for men. Uh, <laughs> um, so one of the main things that I focused on, and I think that has really helped me going back to uh, word of mouth, is building high quality, you know, solutions. You know, there's a, a famous quote from Steve Jobs where, and I'm not going to be able to get it verbatim, but he says something to the effect of painting the back of the fence as well. And people are like, why are you going to paint the back of the fence? Well, because it matters, right? Like. When you do things like that, you, you set the client up to be able to exist without you, right? Don't try to create a dependency on your company. Set them up to where they can exist without you. You know, at that point, you're building high quality products or projects or whatever they need you to do. And that goes a long way. And so Catapult's focus is just that. We want to build high quality software, right? So... It, it means we're going to look at your budget. We're going to tell you exactly, you know, what it will take to be able to achieve what you want. If that's too much, we can trim some things. But there's some non-negotiables, right? Like we're not going to sling raggedy code out there that breaks and is hacky and is janky and works sometimes and doesn't work sometimes. You know, we want to really build high-quality software. And that includes things like writing tests, right? You build an application for somebody you know, when I click this button, I expect it to do something. Okay, so we test that. And instead of having people do the thing for, that robots can do best, we just create the robots, right? And we just say, hey, run the test, make sure all of this stuff still works as we expect it. And that way, we're able to really provide them a, a solid product. Uh, process is really big. So when it comes to, like, building software, well, how do you build software? Uh, it's really... You know, I guess it's with everything. 
you start with, you know, step one, right? The very first step, you start with that. You don't say, I want to build a mobile app, go, right? It's like, okay, I want to build a mobile app. What's the first thing I need to do? I need to initialize the repository. I need to get these things set up. How are we going to deploy it? How are we going to test it? How are we going to run this thing, um, you know, across other people's devices? You know, all of those things matter. And so we really try to help people understand how you can better improve your process. We, we love agile methodology, you know, the old school approach of waterfall. We can work with it, you know, but it's not desired. So we would work with you to like improve that part of your process as well. Uh, and then once we have that planning and that sort of thing done, you know, like I mentioned, the CICD process where we're really working through how do we get this thing out to production? Okay, you have a UAT process. Okay, how do we go from the development build to the UAT process? What are some ways that we can do that within your budget, right? Because we can suggest things all day, but if we're not paying for them, <laughs> what does it matter what we think is the best one, right? We will give you the options that fit within your budget. Well, really, we'll give you all of them. You tell us what fits in within your budget, and we'll try to work with it. We'll tell you the downfalls of choosing those things as well. Uh, so I think it's those part of the, that that part of the process where we're focused on code quality um, within your budget, within your timeline, uh, the planning process, and the execution of that plan as we go through it, uh, and then the complete flow of how you, you know, once we're done and we're gone, how you can maintain throughout that process, um, making updates to it. And even for some of our clients who actually have dev teams and we're in there to help, we're there to help guide, we'll train. So we'll train their you know, developers on how they can take over and manage the project from there. Because again, it, there's some scummy people out, right? Like some people are gonna try to create an umbilical cord between them and the client so they can just continue to eat and eat and eat. And for me, it's like, well, there's always more projects. So if there's something else that you want, we'll come back and we can work on it with you. Uh, but we're not going to create an artificial tether just so you can keep funneling money to us, right? Uh, so I think that's the core part of Catapult. Um, and you hear the thing like full stack all the time. And so we're able to help with um, building the application, the infrastructure. So you're hosting on Amazon or DigitalOcean, whatever, uh, we're able to help that, and then also the automation of all of those pieces together. Uh, we outsource design, though. We don't do the design aspect, because uh, there's some great companies that do it, so we let them handle those portions. You know, there, there are some details in what you just described that I, I want to make sure we don't gloss over, because I'm, our conversation has been so much like nostalgic, early 2000s yeah, yeah, yeah. development. Um, the way you just described the life cycle of a project and all of the various services that you can offer within your company, I cannot understate how different it was 15, 20 years ago. Um, the separation between product planning, project management, engineering, and then deployment and, and server management and all the IT stuff, those were completely separate roles. And yes. the evolution of, of the developer, every really good seasoned developer now has a pretty good handle on the 
evolving standardization of those processes, right? Now, most people are doing agile. There are yep. products development standards in place, and there are processes and cadences to follow that can pretty well guarantee a good outcome. Um, but I feel like back then, you know, if you hire a developer, there's a very good chance the only thing they can do is write code, and they don't know anything yep. about any of those other things. They can't deploy it when it's done. They can't manage it in the long term. They have no idea how to help you plan your product, and they don't know anything about project management. And that's just not, I'm sure there are still some developers like that out there, yeah. but anymore, any good developer, quote unquote, um, really needs to be able to do all those things. Yeah, you know, people would always ask, uh, there's a, a young man that I'm uh, mentoring right now, and you know, he uh, was exclaiming uh, last week or week before, uh, a week before, because we were talking about the Super Bowl <laughs> coming up. And uh, he was talking to me, and he was like, man, it's just crazy how much you know. And I'm like, well, I've been around a while. Once you be around a while, like you, you can't avoid knowing a bunch of different things. He's like, yeah, but you know across a lot of disciplines. And I was like, well, it's, you know, it's a simple answer to that as well, is that I was independent my entire career up until 2012. I took an eight-year hiatus went to work for two separate companies. Uh, but prior to that, it was 12 years of me trying to put food on the table by myself, right? Like I got contracted by companies. I would contract other people and things like that. I was trying to learn how to be a businessman while also having to learn languages and those sort of things, right? And so my thing was, uh, you know, I, I love the way Bomani Jones from ESPN says it. He says it's a, the not, I can't go back. Right. And so my point is, I can't go back to the life I used to live financially. Right. Like once you get to a, a higher plateau, it's like, no, nah, no, nah, I, I can't I can't go down more rungs. Uh, so I'm going to do whatever I can to push. Well, in doing that, like like I said, I started out doing cold fusion stuff. Flash came around. Somebody started asking about some flash work. OK. Somebody, I couldn't sell Cold Fusion stuff because at the time Cold Fusion was like twelve grand for the server, right? Oh, <laughs> so you man. had to pay twelve grand a year, uh, you know, to be able to uh, use Cold Fusion. So I was like, I need to learn more languages, right? And so somebody asked for some PHP. It's like it's a language, I can learn it, sure. So I worked on some PHP, and then somebody came and was like, you want to do this project? It's some Java. All right, do some Java. All right, let's we'll figure it out, right? We're doing it live, like that sort of thing. <laughs> you know, and so it was just like all these things started coming and whenever you're solo, somebody says build this site for us, they don't want you to build a site and then send them a screenshot or a video of it working locally. They want to see it online. So I had to learn how to do infrastructure stuff. You right? I didn't know it was called infrastructure back then, but how do I set up a hosting account? How do I deal with domains? How do I deal with How the do database? I upload things? How do I FTP? What is the FTP? Right? Like all that. Like yeah. I, you know, and, and user groups were tremendous for that. Like user groups and Phoenix, they really helped set me, you know, on a different path. And so I just had to like pick all those skills up. And so it didn't matter what it was. I was doing mobile in like 05 or 06, right? Like this was before you had Objective-C and all these things that you could do on uh, iOS and eventually Android, you know, it was very, very poor experiences, 
but it was cool. It was fun, you know. But it ultimately boiled down to somebody said, can you do this? And I was like, I'll figure it out. <laughs> you know, let's do it. I will so, be but, able to soon. Exactly. You know, so um, I always tell, and, and in those scenarios, you know, going back to like my name, uh, I make sure that if I'm learning on the client's dime, they're not having to pay a premium for me wasting time because I don't know that thing and I'm trying to learn that that aspect. Uh, so that was key, you know, to my growth. And so my last job before I went back to doing Catapult full time, all my developers had to do infrastructure. You know, they're like, hey, we need to do this sort of thing. OK, so you need to jump in the Terraform. It's over here. Go ahead and start working on that. I would train them every single week in an office hour setting where we would sit down and walk through different topics and whatever the case may be. I would just unload and dump as much information as possible. So my key was just trying to make sure that they weren't limited to just, I'm a front-end developer. No, you need to know everything. You need to understand how to run these meetings. Uh, you got to understand the QA process, all of that, like yep. deploying infrastructure. Hey, the build failed on Jenkins. Okay, we, why? Right? Right. If you can't figure it out, we'll jump on a meeting and do that. So. I'm really big on growing polyglots in that scenario, uh, or in that case, uh, so that way people do have that breadth of experience and they can operate in different scenarios like that. But you're right, back then, that was not, it, it was rare that you would find somebody that could do so many different disciplines. Um, it's rare now, but not nearly as rare as it used to be. Yeah, I think the next big advancement that you're seeing with you know, premium unicorn style developers is not just being full stack and beyond, but it's also having a higher level of business awareness so they can connect to complicated client. intended business outcomes that the, mm -hmm. the client has goals towards achieving um, yeah. and really help through super high context, super high knowledge, help connect what needs to happen on the technology side to make sure mm -hmm. they can achieve those outcomes. That's, I think, really great developers do that really well and not many can do it. Yeah. That's um, another thing that I preach to my guys is value, right? Like you, if they're coming to me and they're like, Hey, I'm trying to do this thing. It's like, well, why are you doing that? Are you just trying to milk hours? Right? Like we're not milking hours. What value are you providing the client? Well, I thought this would be good. Okay. Well, is it going to help them in their bottom line? If you can't answer that question, you need to go find out. You need to talk to the client whoever our contact is, and let's figure out if this is something that they want to do, right? That being able to ascertain value is a key component, in my opinion. Uh, and not just sitting back and saying, oh, you want a button that does something? Okay, sure. No, let's figure out why. Let's dig in, figure out why, and then we can help shape that uh, solution in the best way possible. Yeah. Uh, understanding what outcome goals exist and what needs to happen puts you in a position to being able to intelligently challenge instead of just saying, yes, like the client says, build this. Exactly. So I'm building it. Well, is it actually going to help the client? Well, I don't know. They asked me to build it, so I'm going to build it. Um, that's the, that's a very outmoded mentality that will result in draining budgets and not delivering useful outcomes to clients, being able to understand yeah. the outcome and challenge on the basis of here's what you're telling me. But here's what you said you wanted. Let me explain how those two do not connect to each other and recommend that we take this direction instead so we can get you to the place you want to go. 
are you okay with that? And I can tell you from personal experience, 99 times out of 100, they are, they're beyond happy that they have you there to challenge them on yep. their, their misunderstanding of the minutiae of a thing that is not their expertise. They're, they hired you because right. of your expertise. Their expertise might be in business and it might be in a certain product and it might be you know, around a certain business model or client base, but it's not in building things. So having the right person in the room to, to understand with them what we're building and then I'll fill, <clears throat> we can fill in the gaps on the technology side but mm -hmm. we can only fill in those gaps because we fully understand what you've been saying to us and what you're trying to build and what you're trying to achieve. So Absolutely. running out of time, but uh, yep. one last quick question. So All you right. successfully made the evolution from John Bland, independent rockstar developer, to Catapult, the artist formerly known as John Bland, independent rockstar <laughs> developer. <laughs> what advice can you give to a developer, or really anyone in a technology-oriented role, who wants to make the jump from employee to entrepreneur? Huh, good question. Um, I would say number one is um, finding like-minded people, right? There's plenty of people who are out there doing the thing that you're trying to do. Uh, and like I mentioned, the user groups that I used to be in, like meetups now is what they call them, but the user groups were critical because uh, it gave me an opportunity to learn from other people. Uh, but you have to be able to teach the things that you want to be able to do, right? Because whenever you're running the show, uh, your name is on the line, right? So if you have somebody hired that is like the only person who can, you know, write this, you know, whatever, this UI uh, using some advanced mathematic trigonometry sort of thing, and you don't understand it at a certain level, uh, then you hiring somebody else is going to take longer and you're going to ultimately lose the contract and you're going to blow it, right? So you need to be able to uh, teach, you know, those certain aspects and be able to do those things because I can guarantee you when you're trying to hire people, you're going to find some really great people and then you're going to find some people that are just not going to cut it. And if you've agreed to that person coming on and working a full-time gig and they can't cut it, who's going to Who's going to do it? Well, you are. There's no other choice. You're going to do it. Uh, you know, or either somebody else on your team, if you have somebody else, right? But you have to start with at least that, that first person. Uh, so I would say just be, be ready to uh, hone in on your favorite skill set, your best skill set, uh, and then start expanding and, and add in one or two or three people as you go, uh, and then just keep training them, building them up, and just keep pushing that envelope forward and always learn. Never stop learning. You know, I, I watch videos all the time. I still do training materials, not in terms of me creating, but I still take uh, training courses. I do all that stuff. I can write software all day, every day. You know, it, it comes natural now, but I still train, right? So never lose that hunger to train and learn. It's great advice. Well, unfortunately, I have to run to another meeting. Otherwise, I'd stay and ask like 30 or 40 other questions. But I appreciate you having me on today. Yeah, man. I, I really thank you for it. I, uh, this was fun. This was fun reminiscing. So everybody, thank you for joining us on the Catapulting Podcast. Uh, you'll be able to catch episodes here. We're going to start releasing them uh, once a week. And so we're really excited about continuing this. It won't be as much nostalgia all the time. We'll have some topical things uh, coming up. 
Um, but thank you to Roger for joining us. And we'll catch you on the flip side. We're out.